Star Tribune's Prep Sports Podcast is brought to you by Becker Furniture World, Franzen Bank and Trust, Menards, and Carrier. Hello again. I'm Jim Paulson with David Levesque for another episode of Talk and Preps. Uh, again, a lot of high school league uh, news to talk about, and hopefully we can talk a little uh, football postseason awards as well uh, later on in this uh, broadcast. David, you are probably the foremost reporter out there covering uh, high school league business, high school league news. Um, and so you covered a, a board of directors meeting and wrote about it in, uh, in Friday's paper took place on Thursday. Uh, give us a recap of what happened there and, and give us some bullet points on what you think were the most important things to come out of that meeting yesterday. Well, first of all, what do I have to do to convince you to drop the probably? <laughs> Are we, I don't know, maybe pop the eagle balloon there a little bit. What's there? <laughs> I just, you know, if they, but that's maybe that's your, your, that's tough love, Jim Paulson, you know? Yeah, you're good kid, but you know, there's another level. There's another level. You won't, you know, you, you, you know, I guess you'll tell me when I get there. I'll know, I'll know when I get there when there's no probably. Well, you have, you have been at, uh, done so much, a lot more than most people do. And you show up even when it's not high profile things. I mean, they're the television news will show up uh, once in a while, but you're there um, slugging it out when no one else is. So you should get a lot of credit for that. No, I appreciate it. Hey, it's job security. Um, and it's, it's, it's important stuff. I mean, particularly now when we get to the decision stages and we, we had decisions to a point yesterday, um, you know, for those that have been living under a rock for whatever reason, the, the high school league was, uh, prepared to to move into winter sports they had staggered the starts uh for those and um but they were they were ready to go and then and then walls uh had, had the executive order to to put things on pause that included all youth sports right up through the high school level and so the question on the table was all right what, what's the high school you going to do as far as having a plan in place and what you saw Pretty much throughout the month of November, the Return to Participation Task Force was putting some some ideas out there about not only what to do with winter sports, but also with spring, and uh, to make sure that that they had a plan that that was a positive outcome, as positive as possible for both the winter and the spring. And so, uh, what was a, a approved yesterday was allowing. Uh, the high school league, the flexibility to react accordingly to whatever walls decides the, the executive order right now expires on the 18th of December. The high school league is ready to go as soon as December 21st with the beginning of winter sports practices, but that could get pushed. It could get pushed to January 4th. It could get pushed to January 18th. And, and the high school league has models in place that, that they're approved. And ultimately they were, they were allowed, okay, you know, here are the models. We understand you're going to have to make some changes depending on what Governor Walls says. Uh, but but this is, uh, this is we at least have these models out there. And people know not only that the models are in place for how this winter will start, but also that the high school league is committed to ending the winter and spring seasons with state tournaments. We did not have that in the fall. And uh, the high school league, there are members of the league that acknowledge that there's regret in, in not having state tournaments in the fall. And so they've, they've shown – uh, a willingness to put those in play for winter and spring. So I, I thought a lot of optimism 
uh, for people coming out of yesterday's meeting. And, and now we wait and see what Governor Walls, the Department of Health, and, and the powers that be decide. Uh, leave it to me to, to want to be the contrarian in the bunch. Um, and but throw out a couple of issues that came up that I had questions about yesterday's meeting. Um, number one is uh, the idea of issue of equity for all teams. A number of school districts have already put the kibosh on um, extracurriculars until the first of the year. Um, that was the school district decision. Um, did the high school league discuss that at all? And the fact that you they want to be ready to start as soon as possible, as soon as the governor lists that ban, lists that pause, um, and it could be December 21st as soon as possible. But that does that uh, is that fair for the school districts that have already uh, made that determination to pause their extracurriculars for a, a, a little bit longer? Did they address that? That, that question was raised, but I, as I recall, there wasn't a good way to answer it as far as, yeah, was, we understand school districts made their calls, uh, but we're making ours. And they'll, you know, it's just, that's just going to be the way it is. And, you know, it, it's, un, it's, it's unfortunate, um, but it's, it's, you know, it, it, there's going to be a little bit, if, if things start on the 21st, there's going to be a little bit of a, uh, it's not a completely equitable situation. So it was acknowledged, but there's not much that can be done about it. And I, I spoke with Barb Metcalf, the head girls basketball coach at uh, Park Center, about that yesterday. And, I, and she made the good point is that everybody is going to be at a different place with COVID and the restrictions and where we are with that. And you're just going to have to accept that, you know, some schools are going to be hit a little harder than the others. And that's the reality of the situation. And she really yeah. story of a something going on up in North Dakota and Barb's originally from North Dakota and, and um, she had relayed a story of a soccer team up there that lost almost their entire varsity in a state tournament situation to, to COVID restrictions and rather than cancel they just uh, ran their joint JV out there and played in the state tournament game they got beat but they adapted to what the situation was and I think that we're at that place right now where uh, you can't make it fair for everybody in a situation that is as uncertain and as quickly changing as this. So uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, high school league is going to be ready. If, if you're not, well, catch up when you can, but we're going to go. And that's yeah. well, and, and not only that, but you, you know, the, there's going to be pauses and disruptions, whatever the season looks like. It's not going to go off um, 100%, and, and people have to be willing to accept that. And, and some of the models that they put out there have some flexibility built in. Um, I know, for example, there's a, a lot of talk of condensing the section tournaments from a two-week format to a one-week format, which I've heard in, in the hockey circles. I've heard uh, argument for that before anyone ever heard of coronavirus. You know, somebody said, well, why does it take us two weeks to do what we usually do in one uh, in terms of playing three games? And so if you condense that week down and now you can maybe have some flexibility, you can add to the regular season for some of the sports. So it's uh, what even once it gets decided, it's not uh, the coronavirus that gets to weigh in and decide who gets to get through unscathed and, and who has to accept mm -hmm. some bumps in the road. Yeah, I do want to give the high school a lot of credit for adapting their uh, um, point of view on season ending state tournaments and for admitting that they may have erred and how they did it at the start of the year to, to fall on the sword, so, uh, so to speak, on that and say that they need a state tournament situation. They heard from tons of parents and coaches and kids uh, that everybody wants one. And for that, they should be commended. Uh, one other question I want to ask you, though, is the talk of the roadmap that they have to a state tournament that was written 
by a former high school league member, but now a private or independent contractor, Craig Perry. And I, ta- I talked to some coaches about this very subject as well, is how important do they look at that the overall experience, the celebratory aspect of a state tournament, to have it in a big venue with, with under with, um, and the spotlight on the kids? How important do they put do they make that aspect of a state tournament as opposed to just allowing kids to play for a championship? It's important because it's always been part of the mystique of of the whole situation, but there's also the reality, the financial realities. And, and so you have to put those two things together. And then part of the roadmap is, you know, how do we partner differently with some of our venues? You know, is there a way to get, uh, to to pay less freight because we're not going to have a full house for hockey, uh, for example. So yes, the venues are important, but, it, but it doesn't sound like it's XL target center, Williams arena or bust. And that's, that's good to hear because I've heard so many kids and coaches say, just let the kids play, you know? And, and I know that the state tournament is, is a high profile showcase for not just the sport, but for the high school league itself. And they don't want to lose that. And I, I don't blame them. Um, but I would think that uh, we're going to probably see state tournaments. If what we do see is going to look much different um, than we're normally used to. And that's, that's. Well, so let's not forget if your soccer team or your football team, if you lose in the state quarterfinals, you, your season ended on some neutral site, high school field. Um, you know, it, it ends, you kind of just dis- disappear in a very unceremonious manner. Uh, it's not until the semifinals and finals that you get to go inside U.S. Bank Stadium. If you're a lacrosse player, you're playing out your entire tournament at neutral site high schools, and there's not a hell of a lot of pageantry with that. And that's not dogging any schools. Those are nice facilities. They do a great job. But it's not U.S. Bank Stadium. It's not Target Center. It's not Target Field. So not everything it has the plumb. And, and I think more teams and, and things are going to have to – be accepting of that and i think given everything we've all been through i think to your point wherever we play and you call it state let's go <laughs> i think most kids feel the same way and i know the high school league is very aware of what happened to basketball last year and the last thing they want is to have two years in a row of no state tournament for basketball that would just be awful for those kids so and the entire spring sports offerings also lost out. so that's why it was important to note that well yes winter is kind of the focus because those are the higher profile by by not even a close measure uh between winter and spring the winter profile is much much higher but it's it's got to be thought of in a more holistic manner because they don't want to give uh the spring sports the, the dirty end of the stick again well, you know, that was uh, that was the news of the day yesterday. And uh, obviously those state high school league board of directors meetings are carefully, much more carefully monitored uh, than they used to be. And people are hanging on everything they do. And I think the high school league would probably appreciate a little bit <laughs> a lower profile on some of these things. Well, <laughs> I, sat in, I sat in on the executive committee meeting on Wednesday evening. And Eric Martins, the executive director of the high school league, said that that there has been no time probably in the history of the league where it was, they were under more uh, eyes. He said, everyone's watching everything. And so the, the scrutiny on the league, the, uh, the intensity of the concern is, is probably historic. I, I was told and I've researched it to a degree 
the, uh, the the moving of the boys hockey tournament from a one class event to uh, what became first a two tier and then a two class event that was a pretty massive situation back in the late 80s but uh, short of that i don't think anything tops what we're seeing right now as far as attention and interest in what the high school league is doing no i agree with you and at the time it was a big deal and just like i would say the, the state basketball tournament which was the biggest draw in the state uh, for a long time, when it went to two classes, it had kind of the same sort of uh, scrutiny, um, but not the type of scrutiny that you get today with social media and so many different avenues for for news to be disseminated. Um, so, and you know, I don't think it's a bad thing for the high school league to have to uh, be under the spotlight, be under the glare once in a while. I mean, they they uh, you know make an awful lot of decisions and. Uh, and an awful lot of money and, regular, and rules and regulations regarding kids. And I think it's okay. It's okay for you to, uh, to have to answer for some of the things that you do. I don't think it's a bad thing for them to be, be um, in, in the spotlight as much as they have. Um, Agree a hundred percent. Anyway, moving on this week, Dave, we named the star tribune, all Metro football team and the Metro player of the year a fun time of year, a fun thing to do. We, we all enjoy that. Um, give me your thoughts. You happy with the team? Were you, are there, is there any, any choices you think that stood out that uh, make it unique? Or is it, what, what do you think about this year on Metro football? Well, here's what I loved about it. And, and I know this, we go through this every year. This year, it kind of really jumped out at me. Uh, what I love is you have room for a Riley Mallman who's, you know, got a body that was sent down from the Greek gods. You know, was he 6'8", 280? Yeah. Um, you know, and then and an athletic uh, 280. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And then you've got you've got Joey Sorensen from Spring Lake Park. And, and I'm not picking on Joey, but the fact of the matter is my man is 5'8, 160. And I think that those might be program numbers, if you know what I'm saying. It could be a it could be more likely you know, five seven, a buck fifty, a buck fifty-five <clears throat> when you see him on the street, but in the program, he's you know, they pumped them up a little bit. I, I I was the beneficiary of that in high school myself, but uh, but you know, here's a, he's a kid that that uh, <clears throat> excuse me. You've got a team that that you know he's the, he's the he's the key member of the defense that had five shutouts and allowed four touchdowns all year, and he had six interceptions. And so he's you know I don't know if he's got college plans that wasn't communicated to me, uh, and I, I wish him all the best in whatever he's pursuing. But he doesn't jump off and grab you and say, "Wow, what a football player!" Based on his statistics or his his his. Uh, Height and weight, you know, but but there's room for him as a great high school football player, just like there's room for Riley Malman, who's going to be a, a Division One major college football player. So that's what I love uh, is the juxtaposition of those things and, and keeping the focus where it belongs, which is who had the best high school season this year, not the rep, not the great body and, and measurables, but who who is great for for their teams and 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 a guy like Joey Sorensen is a, is a poster child for that. You know, and you're absolutely right. And I was going to chime in and say the same thing is, is recognizing kids for playing high school football, you know, not recognizing them for their, how many co college offers they have or what their reputation is or how great they look with in measurables or in shorts when they're at, at camp. It's what they've been doing on the football field. Guys like, like Sorensen, guys like Ben North at, uh, at Eastridge, who Dan Fritzy, their coach, said is the best football player to ever come out of the school. And there's been some big name football players like JC Hassenar that have come out of. Eastridge, so it recognizes kids that are that are may not, you know, measure up to the high level and the, the college type players, 
but they're they've got heart and they've got guts and they're just football players. And I love the fact that we can recognize kids like that. I also love the fact that this year we had three Minneapolis kids make the first team, which yeah. I don't, or actually four. I don't know when the last time we had that many kids. Last year I wrote a story about football in Minneapolis kind of dwindling and and suffering because they weren't getting a lot of support. This year we had four Minneapolis kids on the first teams, two linebackers, uh, Nick Flaskamp at Southwest and Niall Dickel at uh, Washburn, and two Minneapolis North players in Terrence Kamara and Rio Sanders uh, on offense. And and we also had Zach Yeager, a quarterback, on, uh, as a second-team quarterback. So it, it's nice to see. And Jamarian Wheeler at Washburn, a wide receiver, as a second-team wide receiver. It's nice to see Minneapolis football, city football, make a stand and, and, and show this year. That was I'm, – I'm, Minneapolis kid, I'm proud of that. Yeah, it's it's good. You know, it's it's good to see the, the players getting recognized, and it also allows you to to say, hey, we we cast the net far and wide, and and you know, you weren't going to be disregarded because you played in Minneapolis or St. Paul, and maybe your schedule wasn't the you know as tough as somebody in the Lake Conference or. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm talking. I'm showing my age here. I'm talking conferences, and we don't we don't d- dwell in conferences anymore. Football. We do. We dwell in districts. Um, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, the, the, those those the suburban teams generally play tougher schedules. But hey, you're a deserving city player. We've got a spot for you. Our Metro Player of the Year, um, Jake Ratzloff of uh, of uh, Rosemont. I saw him play a few times. <laughs> completely deserving. This is a kid that can do anything on the football field and he does it all full bore. You know, he's going a hundred miles an hour. He loves, loves, loves Florida football. You know, he had, he turned down a hockey scholarship to the university of Minnesota to commit just recently to the university of Wisconsin to play linebacker. Um, but his coach, Jeff Urban said, he's a kid that could play any position on a class six, a football team and succeed at it. And, and he's talking about offensive line. He can talk defensive line. He said he's a punter. He can, he can do anything and do it well. I wrote I wrote about him in the Player of the Year story, and I talked about the things he can do off, off the football field. He can do a 360 dunk in a basketball game. He's a scratch golfer, a terrific tennis player. He's got offers to play hockey and football and baseball. So uh, if, if anybody deserves a Metro Player of the Year award. Uh, uh, it's Jake Ratzloff. I think he kind of epitomizes what we were looking for. Yeah, I got to take my hat off to Jake because you know what he does isn't easy. I, you know, there's only so few of us left that can do all those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he mentioned he mentioned how uh, he's had a David Levake poster and, and <laughs> complete in St. Paul Johnson gear. And then he's trying to live up to that. That's that. that yeah, that picture exists, and it, I thought the photographer. Did a nice job of cropping it out so the bench wasn't visible. I, I really appreciated that. <laughs> and then, no, he, it was after you poured water on your head to look like you'd been sweating a little bit. <laughs> That's right. Now Jake is, uh, yeah, he's he's everything you'd want in a football player. And, and I've said this before because you know people were wondering a while back, well, what's he going to do? Is he going to try to pursue major college football? Is he going to stay with major college hockey? And, and I went out to talk to him about that in the back in the some at some point during last season and. We shook hands, and my God, you just—you remember that handshake? It's been months, and I remember that handshake. I, it's not often that my hand disappears into a high school kid's hand, but but Jake Ratzloff has that kind of handshake, and it's it's from, and and that, where I come from, a firm handshake means something, and and so Jake's got those intangibles too. So all the best to him, even if he is a badger. 
The, the, and the uh, those are back in the days when we actually could shake somebody's hand. That's oh. right, the good old days. Which, which eight, I still catch ago. myself that. You know, is there any any kid that you think that we missed? There's one. There's one kid on the offense that, and I was in charge of the offense choosing that this year, and I, I, I feel kind of bad about. As a kid, uh, an offensive lineman at, at Tino Grace named uh, Joe Alt, one of the top college recruits in the state, the son of the great John Alt, who played for the University of Iowa and the Kansas City Chiefs. And, and uh, his brother, Mark Alt, was a gopher hockey player. Uh, and Joe was a top five recruit as a lineman, but he played half the season, if not more, at tight end. And, you know, and, and his dad sent me an email saying, why, why didn't you consider Joe? And I, I've been, I went back and forth about that, back and forth about that. Should I consider him? Should I not? But we're looking at kids for what they've done this season, not for what they're going to do down the road. And while he was a great lineman, he didn't play that many snaps as an offensive lineman. And there really wasn't any great tight end uh, numbers either. And I, I felt bad. And I am still second guessing myself. Should I have put him on the team? Should I have not put him on the team? I didn't put him on the team. In his, um, uh, to his credit, John Alt was very um, understanding. And he said uh, that, well, his, uh, it'll just be a life lesson that he'll have to learn from. And I thought, well, that, that's the type of response you love to hear from parents. Um, but that was my one question on the on the first team offense. If I should have found a place to throw Joe Alt in there. Um, so now Joe was second team? No, I don't think he was on either team, first or second. Oh, okay, okay. All right. And well, because okay. he was a because he was a tweener. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, there was a, a situation with another player last year in the same situation where he signed with the University of Minnesota as a linebacker, kid from Anoka, but he didn't play hardly any downs as a linebacker you know and he oh, yeah yeah back, he played some wing back he played some strong safety but not enough time in any one position to really be as good as some of the other kids who for whom that was their their primary position so uh those are those are the the tough ones the tough choices you make and, and you're always thinking about them and you hope that that uh, people understand and in this case they did and for that I'm, I'm appreciative well, I, I go, you know, I know you talk with Mr. Alt here. He didn't make either team, and uh, you have to live with that. But I, I look at it, you know, sometimes people say, why wasn't so-and-so on the first team? And my comeback to that is, well, if they're on one of the first two teams, that means they're, you know, for example, I'm going to be talking about defensive back here. So and if you're talking defensive backs, if you're on one of the first two teams, that means you're one of the eight, only eight recognized defensive backs in the metro area. That's still pretty damn good company. Yeah. And so with that said, with that preamble, Reed Patterson from Lakeville South, I just thought watching him three times this year, he's football player through and through. Now he's their quarterback, but a Lakeville South quarterback isn't going to blow your hair back in terms of the amount of throwing that they do and the amount of things that you say, okay, I can really see where this young man, you know, his, the, the talent, the arm strength, whatever. That's not what you're asked to do. And in, in if you're running Lakeville South power T offense, um, but then on defense, he was, he was very much a difference maker. And I felt that second team defensive back at least gets him in the conversation and at least gets him recognized because again, if you look at Lakeville South, who most people thought was the number one team all year, and, and ultimately they ended at number one, he was a football player through and through both sides of the ball. That feels like a first team kid, but he's not a first team quarterback. He may or may not be a first team defensive back. So second team defensive back is, is the best we can do, but but I'm glad he's recognized because he was worth being among the elite. 
Oh, I, I um, that about wraps it up for today. Actually, a much more lively discussion than I expected. So uh, thanks for joining us, Dave. Um, thanks for keeping us informed on all things High School League. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. My pleasure, sir. See ya.